The reading this morning is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, and you can find it on page 1184 of the Church Bible. That's page 1184. Living as those made alive in Christ. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now, you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Charlie. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us such a rich time in this text to build up your body that is here at St. Michael's, this church here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. So we, in the third part of our fourth part, four-part series, uh, looking at Colossians, uh, Colossians 3, verses 1 to 17, please keep it open in front of you as, uh, as we search it together. And our series is called Churches, God Intends. We're looking at the church and how God made it to be, knowing that we're humans who are always going to fall short of that perfect standard, but we want to grow to be more uh, of what God made us to be together as a body. And in this particular sermon, we're looking at unity in the body. Um, If church is important, then surely unity in the church is absolutely vital. And Paul is addressing, I think, a certain amount of disunity in the church in Colossae. Every church has to have a certain amount of disunity. It's made up of of people, human beings, uh, who have disunity between them. And as he addresses the disunity in the church, he, he realizes in his mind that he can't start there. He has to start further back. And so he, he breaks church down into what makes it up. It's a family of God that's made up of families and individuals. So he goes back to that stage. But then he sees actually families are made up by couples and individuals in those couples. And then he, he narrows down into the individual. And he says, what makes us up is our actions, our speech. And the speech, in fact, overflows from our hearts and our minds. And then while he's thinking about hearts and minds, he's thinking hearts and minds are influenced by what we were made to be back there at the beginning and where it went wrong. But that's, that's not all that there is for hearts and minds. There's a hope of a future. There's a, a what's to come in the future, in the second coming, what we're made to be. And so with this, what we were and what we're made to be, he realizes that we're living in this in-between times where we weren't, we aren't quite what we were, we've moved on from there, but we aren't also quite what we were made to be. That perfection is only going to happen when Christ returns. So what do we make of this in-between time? What hope is there for us as a church? What hope is there for unity in the body in this in-between time? And that's what Paul's speaking into in this letter. I think this is vital for us, St. Michael's, at this particular time. So let's track him back all the way in his thought. And we're going to break our passage up into two sections, starting with what we were in verses 1 to 11. And then we're going to look at what we're made to be in verses 12 to 17. So he starts off by saying, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Since you are raised with Christ. He starts us in Christ. And he says, You who are people who have put your trust 
in Jesus are people who died with Christ on that cross and have been raised to a new life with Christ. And so therefore your eyes should be on Christ and we should be looking forward to that new life in him. Do you notice uh, hearts in verse 1 and minds in verse 2? For he carries on, he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And he's going to hammer out what earthly things look like. But he says our minds and our hearts are gazing upwards, things above, gazing towards Christ. He says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. There's a hiddenness in this in-between time. That yes, you're in Christ and your life is in Christ. You are Christ in that you're in him. Um, but at the same time, you can't see the hope yet to which you are called. There's a hiddenness about this time that we work in. But, he says in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's a second coming of Christ that we're looking forward to. Our hope in Christ looks back to what happened on the cross on our behalf, but hope to be hope has to be forward-looking, and therefore it looks forward to what will be when Christ returns and we appear with him in glory. Dick Lucas, the rector of St. Helens in the past, said, a day is coming when the Christ of faith, the hidden Christ, if you like, whom we now worship, will be the Christ revealed for what he is to the astonished gaze of all mankind. There's a hiddenness now that will be revealed in the future to the astonished gaze of mankind. That's what's to come. And so looking forward to this hope, we turn inward to what goes on in our minds, our hearts, and what comes out of our mouths. In verse 5, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And this is here we find out what is earthly, what is in us which we weren't made to bear, what is in us which isn't the image of God. You see, there's, there are two economies which we can live in. There's, a, there's an economy of this world which seeks to build up the self, and there's an economy of God which seeks to build up the other, to live for the other, to serve the other, and most importantly, God. And these two economies do seem to intersect to a certain degree. I find it amazing how the heroes who we admire, we admire for service, and not for building up themselves, but for building up the other. Think of our queen on the throne at the moment. What an amazing example of service she is to us as individuals and as a nation. Think of Martin Luther King. Think of Nelson Mandela. 
These are names who are names of service, focused on the other. And even though we have these examples, there's something deep inside of us that struggles to follow their example. We, especially my generation of, uh, of wise millennials, want to do only what's most rewarding for us. And if you suggest that we do anything other than what would be best for us, we bulk at it. And so there's this tension. Do we serve others? Do we build them up? Or do we live for ourselves and building up ourselves? And building up ourselves includes feeding our passions and our wants and our desires. I've recently been reading this very interesting book by Jeremy Paxman on empire. And he writes about the passionate and energetic men who built the empire in India and around the globe. And Paxman writes, it would have been more astonishing if the men possessed of energy to leave Britain and seek their fortune overseas were not also keen to satisfy more immediate physical and emotional needs. Soldiers and adventurers have behaved in much the same way. He's speaking about how these empire builders with their needs and wants, saw those needs and wants met by calling to the bazaar for a woman, and six would come, and exploring their sexual desires wherever they took them, and taking on concubines, taking on a wife in India who was let go as soon as a suitable European candidate arrived. Their desires were fulfilled at the cost of the dignity and families and self-worth of thousands and thousands of people who they abused. And we see this in Paul's writing, how he tells us to put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. In every one of us, in our hearts and minds, we've got to choose. Do we serve our own desires at the cost of others, or do we build up the other? Sometimes it seems temporarily at the cost of our own desires. Uh, Back at Theological College, there's a a lecture which seemed to turn into uh, sex guidance uh, when our lecturer said to us, um, sex can be very different. It can be a time when a couple is built up in unity as they focus on the other, serving the other, and bringing the ultimate pleasure for the other or it can be totally about the self, yourself, and how you can gain the most out of this physical interaction with this person who you're with. And in that way, it turns into mutual masturbation. And he said to us, there's a difference between mutual masturbation and the making love 
which is what God gave us. Sex was given as a great thing if all things were made through Christ, as we heard in chapter 1. So was sex and our sexual desire. And at the same time, we find in the Bible that sex was made to be shared between husband and wife in a place of commitment where the marriage is built up and families flourish. And we read something like that every time we have a wedding here in this church in the introduction. But so often we make it so much less than that. And that's largely because of what happens in our minds. So he says, put to death what belongs of your earthly nature. What happens in your head affects the bedroom. It affects relationships. It affects families. And it affects the church. Are you going to put yourself first? Or are you going to put others first? And then he turns from the heart and mind to the overflowing, which is speech, as he gets into verse 8. He says, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of in the image of its creator. There's that language again about the old self, which died with Christ, and the new self, which was raised with Christ. And the new self, which was raised with Christ, is a renewed self to some extent. Jesus is the firstborn of creation, as we we read in, in uh, in our creed earlier in that he is the start of the renewed creation. There will be a time when our bodies are fully renewed and our minds are fully renewed. But there's an amount of, of renewing that can happen even now by the Holy Spirit as we focus on our Creator. And did you notice also that we're renewed in the image of our Creator? Remember back to Genesis 1.27, where we told, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You were created in the image of God. And he looks at you and said, you're good. And since then, there's been a fallenness. But you will be restored into the image. And even now, as we live in this in-between time, there's a restoration. There's a renewing. And in fact, that renewing means you become who you were made to be when you're restored into his image. When we put ourselves first rather than others in God, there's a deterioration of what we're made to be. We lose out on what we're made to be. And in the renewing, there's a restoration into his image. And these things, rage, anger, malice, slander, 
are things that are defensive and want to tear others down, maybe because they've torn us down. It's about defending the self, want to build build ourselves up. It's all all self-centered. It doesn't care what havoc we wreak, as long as I have my say. And so this is what we were and what we're growing out of. But there's a future, and I love this little linking verse, verse 11, where he says, here there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. The, the Scythians were the uncouth northern Greeks. Uh, no Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. If we're going to have some unity, it's not unity for the sake of unity, it's unity in Christ. It's us all clinging together to Christ, and we're therefore united. And this brings us so well into what we were made to be. And we might ask the question, do you know who you were made to be? Do you know who you are when you strip away the self-serving stuff? Let's take a lead from Paul. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Do you know yourself as one of God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved? And Paul here is nicking a verse uh, from Deuteronomy. Uh, It's chapter 7, verse 6, where the writer says, for you are people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. And here he's speaking about Israel. But the church is the new Israel, those who are loved, chosen, treasured. Do you know yourself as one who is loved, chosen, treasured? Do you speak to other people around you out of that confidence of who God made you to be. And do you treat each other like that? When I'm speaking to you, you are God's possession. The one he has chosen. The one he has treasured all the way to the cross. Do we see each other like that? He carries on. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And clothing is something that we do every day. We put on clothes. So every day, let's be reminding ourselves to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with each other and forgiving one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. How do we clothe ourselves daily like that? Let me suggest a few things. Let me suggest we start all the way back where Paul did with the heart and the mind of the individual. And as an individual, come before your God daily, picking up the Bible and saying, Lord, I want to learn from you today and to grow more in the image of your son today. Speak to him. 
relationships require speaking. So let's be speaking to our God in prayer every day. Let's be doing that. But then let's also realize where we need help and we need to ask others to keep us accountable. Let's be meeting in in twos and threes to pray and to be accountable. I have a a chap who's a theological college with me and and one other who who I quite often phone in in a situation where I just need help. I, I need accountability about something. Let's be accountable to one another in twos and threes. Let's continue to meet in small groups, in homes, and in Tuesday Woman and Burning Man, uh, the men's Bible study on a Thursday morning. Let's continue to meet in small groups where we can encourage each other and go deeper into the Word and ask those questions that are on our minds. Let's be committed to to meeting here uh, weekly, not just for yourself, but also for others, so that we can share in that together. Let's clothe ourselves daily in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let's forgive one another. Why? Why do we forgive one another when it seems so unnatural so often? As I was thinking through the sermon, it is uh, Thursday morning, and I was desperate to have some quality time in this passage. Uh, And over breakfast, MJ said to me, Guy, I really do need you to sort out that sofa that needs to be picked up from such and such a place and taken to this friend who is about to have a baby. In fact, she had her baby the next day. And I said to her, I just can't do it. I don't have time. I've been all over the place this week, and I just don't have time to do it. And she said to me, Guy, I have to remind myself that you aren't like my dad. (laughs) And... (laughs) It, it is this comment that really hit deep that I wasn't like her dad. And I, I got really upset about it. And sometimes when I get upset, I just decide I'm going to do whatever I'm told to do and get it out of the way. It doesn't matter what happens. So I, uh, I jumped in the car and I headed off here for church because I had to lead a prayer meeting. And then after that, I was going to pick up the sofa and take it to where it needed to be. And I was fighting my way through the traffic, just seething inside with anger towards my wife. And I thought, this, this just can't be. This just can't be. And even though I didn't want to do it at all, when I got here to Chester Square, I sent her a text and said, I'm so sorry that I got angry with you. If you, if you can apologize for something in a place of two people being angry with each other. You just go for it. Whatever you can apologize for, you do. So I said that to her, and I said, I'm going to come back for lunch. Let's have lunch together and carry on chatting. Because I knew it couldn't end there. And then I asked myself the question, why did I get so emotional about that particular phrase she used? that she had to remind herself that I wasn't like her dad. What is it? What is it about that phrase that hurt me? And I think I'm still working through that. Please pray for me. Um, But I I think that's a vital question in our anger and our passion, to ask the question, to ask why. What happened there? Because I want to avoid that happening again. And there are some times when we just don't feel like we can forgive. And it's at those times we're reminded by Paul to forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
That's the standard. We were forgiven when we didn't deserve to be forgiven. We were dead in our sins. We hadn't done anything to deserve God's love. And yet Christ loved him, loved us all the way to the cross and forgave us. If that's the standard, if our eyes are pointed to Christ and looking to him, then let's follow his example by forgiving because we have been forgiven. He says, over all these virtues put love which binds them together in perfect unity, which is the love of God, which meant that we're able to be forgiven on that cross. It's the love that binds us together, binds all these traits together, and brings unity in the church. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And we know when we're living in that place of unity that a peace does rule in our hearts. We've got unity with Christ as a result of his love and peace, and therefore we know his peace in ourselves and the body which is the church. And let's not stop being thankful. One of the best things we can do to diffuse tension and disunity is thank each other and thank God for each other. It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. Do you notice how we to teach and admonish one another? Teaching isn't something that just happens from the front, but it's something that we do to each other, we do with each other. We teach, encourage, correct each other in this body. And as a result, the church is built up. And sometimes this means taking time, which is the most costly thing in our lives and in this country and in this city. And yet that's why we give it, because it's so precious. Bonhoeffer, the pastor theologian, wrote, In the whole of world history, there is always only one really significant hour. The present. If you want to find eternity, you must serve the times. Let's give each other the gift of the present. Fully focused on each other. Not asking in every conversation, how can I build myself up? But how can I build up you and encourage you in this conversation? How can I point you towards Christ in this conversation? And as we come together as a church gathered, we don't come together asking, what can I gain out of being here on a Sunday morning for an hour and a quarter? But how can I serve others in this church? How can I encourage you in your faith? And so when we're missing from the church, when one of us isn't here, in fact, it's all of us who misses out because we miss out on the encouragement, the teaching, the admonishment of the one who isn't here. Coffee time is about coffee and delicious biscuits, and they're great. But it's also about exactly this, about building each other up in Christ. 
So you might be asking as you go into coffee time, what questions can I ask that will bring someone out and encourage them today? And we're told in verse 17 that through all that we do, we're pointing to Christ and have our eyes fixed on him. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we've looked at at what we were and what we were made to be and this in-between time where we're called to clothe ourselves, pointing ourselves to Christ, pointing each other towards Christ. And love and unity flow from that place. And St. Michael's, you are amazing at this. This is a unified church. But let's carry on growing in this direction. Let's pray.